And we are back. At least we're back from what was a, a one-week hiatus for the zombie prom. And we should be here each and every Saturday night going forward, weather permitting, for great paranormal talk. And we're going to have just that tonight when our guest Sam Baltrusis joins us. He's going to be talking with us about, well, about all kinds of haunted places across New England. He's written a number of books. We'll talk to him about those, and especially we'll talk to him about Haunted Provincetown, because that's where the Provincetown Paracon is taking place coming up in May. So we'll be talking about that and a whole bunch more with our guest Sam Baltrusis tonight as we start episode 408, 480 what? Four, 400. Episode 486 of Spooky South Coast starts right now. here, along with the asylum assassin Matt Costa, just the two of us. I can't believe I just sang on the radio, uh, but I did, and because it is just the two of us tonight. Uh, of course, uh, science advisor Matt Moniz has the night off. He's working on a, on a project for, you, you know, his, his other job that he got, his, his second job. Right, which is kind of really taking over his time, but uh, he's he's got something uh, working on for is it, that. Is it? It's due tomorrow. Is so. it very uh, secretive? Is a he's talked about it on his Facebook I page. Mean, he, he's very cryptic anyway. Right. When it comes to anything, but we'll just say he's working in the uh, the ballistics industry. I think we can say is that safe enough to say working on developing some armor. Yes. So. Uh, he's uh, he's working on that tonight, and uh, Se- Stephanie Burke is not here because she's at the Cuckoo Cola uh, <laughs> annual cult meeting. Uh, <laughs> I almost put the she put up a picture of the uh, she's at the Itworks convention, which uh, for those of you who don't know, Stephanie is an Itworks distributor, and she is very successful at it. She's one of the the leaders in the area, and she went down to Tampa for the the big convention. But as we like to tease her all the time we we call it the cult and uh when she put the picture of the arena because they're in the arena in right. in, in yeah. tampa uh you know they've, they've had it like right. three quarters of the way filled how much, with how much money are they making off those energy drinks i have no idea but jeez i thought about putting the little clip from chippendales underneath of the cuckoo cola song <laughs> but i thought she would get mad that under her business post i'm making cult jokes but that's where she is tonight she's she's down there she's working working her main job i guess we could say is that her main job i don't know what, what would you say is more her main is it is it that or do you think it's more the wellness center and all that stuff um it's kind of a 50 yeah, they kind of go so. hand in hand they do they do so but she's anyway she's she's doing that tonight she wears she wears many hats yes and apparently a a green hat from time to time because it's the official color of it works it is that's what it was in the picture just a sea of green it was like going to see a celtics game the arena just <laughs> filled with green so uh we'll we'll definitely 
have her back uh, next week, but I think she might even try and check in uh, at some point during the night tonight as well. And as I mentioned in the cold open a little bit later on, we'll be joined by our guest Sam Baltrusis tonight. Sam is putting on the Provincetown Paracon that Stephanie and I will be guests at coming up in May. But we'll also talk with him about his different books that he's written. He's he's written quite a few, and if you go to his Amazon page, you can see them all. Ghosts of Salem, Ghosts of Boston, Ghosts of Cambridge, Haunted Boston Harbor, and uh, he also has the 13 Most Haunted series that he's been working on, and he also literally wrote the book on Paranormal Provincetown. Like, he has a book called that. So he literally wrote the book on it. So we'll talk with him about some Provincetown ghost stories for sure, since that's where the Paracon is taking place. But we will also... Uh, make sure that we talk about some of these other areas because they all have fascinating stories. And what's great about it, too, is when you have somebody like Sam who has covered all these places. He, you know, when you can get a whole book out of just the ghost stories in, in Boston Harbor, you know, that means that you're starting to see the, the forest for the trees. So not only can you talk about these individual hauntings, but we can really kick around some of the ideas as to what might be the overarching reason why these places are so haunted. So uh, it'll be a fascinating discussion a little bit later on, and you can always join in at any time in the conversation by calling in 508-996-0500. 877-996-1420 if you want to call in toll-free. Those numbers are right up on SpookySouthCoast.com if at any point in time during the show you need them. And Matt puts them up on the screen from time to time on Spooky TV, which you can watch at our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can watch on our YouTube channel, on YouTube.com. Or the easiest way to get everything Spooky South Coast, download the free Spooky South Coast app. We have it for Android and for, uh, what's the other thing? It's, uh, I guess people kind of like it. It, uh, pears, like bananas, like something, fruit, some sort of uh, uh, grapes. No, no. Wait. If I go through the entire fruit of the loom, sooner or later I'll hit it. Apple. <laughs> That's it. If you want to, if you want to download the Apple version as well, uh, you can do so. So, we pissed off so many people right there. <laughs> right. Uh, right now, the ghost of Steve Jobs is like, see if I ever show up at one of your right. investigations. So, uh, but absolutely, if you have a, an Android phone or an Apple phone. Uh, you'll be able to download the free Spooky South Coast app, and you can get all things Spooky South Coast. There are videos, the video stream, the chat room, the social media feeds, the past episodes, everything. That's the easiest way to follow along with the show. And it's free. It doesn't cost you anything, which is a terrible, terrible business model for us. Just giving the stuff away. We've been doing that for 11 years now, though, so we're certainly not going to stop anytime soon. Uh, so, And also, well, you can join in the conversation during the night by using the hashtag SpookyLive. If you're on Twitter, you can tweet us at SpookySC or just use the hashtag SpookyLive. Either way, we'll see it. But we love the chat room. We love the people who join us in the chat room, and we would be able to interact with you as much as we can tonight. Stephanie's not here. Usually she keeps an eye on the chat room for us. Uh, but we can always, you know, keep glancing over there from time to time. But I think tonight, if you have a question, you want to get involved in the discussion, the best way is to call on the phone because that's where I can operate things from where I'm sitting. So, again, 508-996-0500. We were off the air last week, and I mentioned that this is episode 486, which means we're getting close to 500, man. We're getting really close to 500, just a couple months away. Right. But... You'll, you know, people are probably looking at their podcast feeds and being like, well, wait a minute, there was no episode 485. There is an episode 485. It's a really, really weird discussion with our guest, Douglas Robinson. Stephanie and I came in, we recorded a show with Douglas Robinson talking about paranormal, uh, pa um, paranormal vi vampires. But he created his own fictional universe of books about vampires, and, and it, was, it was just kind of weird because we, we kept trying to bring him back to talking about 
actual real-life vampires, which is kind of how the interview was portrayed to us from his PR people. But he kept talking about his characters, and, and, and he wouldn't really discuss the real vampires. He acknowledged that they are real and that there really are real vampires. But I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a little different. And the reason why we haven't released it yet is we've been having a little bit of issue with our podcast feed. We're trying to get that fixed. I know people are getting the episodes from the podcast feeds. We're just not getting the numbers that reflect that. So I, I can't really tell if it's uploaded correctly until I see that somebody's actually downloaded it. That's how I tell, okay, it's working, when those numbers start to rise. But right now they're showing all zeros. So hopefully people were able to get it through the podcast feed and, and everything's working. We'll, we'll get all that squared away, and then I'll release that episode as well as this week's episode into the podcast feed. However, I have to warn you, I messed up the audio on episode 485. I totally screwed it up. I came in with the laptop. I plugged it in. I was looking at it. I was watching it. It seemed like everything was fine. Nothing was clipping. And then when I went and played it back, everything was clipping. And normally when there's a little bit of audio issues, I just send it to Matt Costa, the silent assassin. He's the audio doctor. He can fix it. But I knew that this was beyond what anybody could fix. I'm learning a lot now, working in the newsroom and like having to cut audio and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned when I've blown my chance at saving audio. And this was I definitely blew my chance with this one. But we'll we'll see what we can do. So next time. I mean, if you, yeah. I'll put it out there. It's up to you if you want to listen to it, folks. I'm not. And that I'm people, sure we've done worse. We have definitely <laughs> done worse. But I, I I hate when I put something like that out and then people like send it back and be like, "Well, that was terrible." But, well, you don't have to listen. If it sounds like crap, just stop listening. I mean, how many times has the audio been perfectly fine, but the show sounds like crap? You still listen, you know. If we're, we're totally talking about crap, but it sounds good. So people will listen to that. So what if we're having a good discussion and it sounds like crap? Then just keep listening. But uh, so we'll certainly get that up there as well. I do want to address where we were last week for those of you who might not have been paying attention and, and didn't get a chance to go. We were at the zombie prom. Stephanie and I were. We went to the zombie prom that uh, Jeff Belanger and Dustin Parry put on to help with Climb for the Cure, their effort with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They'll be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and this was part of their fundraising efforts for that. And w- there was a great turnout at Jalapenos in Bellingham. There was, uh, first of all, you missed some pretty awesome nachos, i got to say. Oh, did I? Yes. Which was kind of odd, because the nachos came out to be like seven or eight bucks with a huge plate of nachos. And, like, a beer was, like, $4. So I'm like, wait a minute. A bottle of Bud Light's $4, but this huge pile of nachos is only, like, $7. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was it was good. And, uh, and and the place was great. The staff was awesome. Everybody that came out was in full support, buying raffle tickets. I brought Ken Bones in. <laughs> nice. And I put Ken Bones out for people to, like, sit and take pictures with him. Ken Bones was kind of the head of the party. And, uh, and then Stephanie and I were amazingly made up by John Brightman. He spent about 45 minutes on each of us. He said, just bring the clothes that you want to wear. I'll take care of the rest. And he did. He completely turned me into a zombie, uh, made it look like I had no nose, which I told him was going to be a challenge with a a schnoz like mine. But he was able to do it. He fitted a piece over it. And just the way that he does the makeup was fascinating with the airbrush. Have you ever ever seen airbrushed makeup before? Um, Just on, maybe online. Maybe online. That's about it. But you've seen like airbrushing, like when somebody yeah, like you yeah. know, if if you take your bike helmet and they you go and get something airbrushed on the bike helmet, you've seen the process. I found a uh, group picture on your Facebook that I'm going to share. Well, thank right you. Right there, the um, the 
the airbrushing, you know, was was something that was a little bit. You guys weird. do look good, and Ken Bones does not look like he ate that many nachos. No, he didn't. He didn't really have any nachos. He's a more yeah. more of a margarita. If guy. you're looking, if you're looking at the photo now, you can see, uh, you know, I'm in the middle there with the white shirt on and no nose, and then you see Jeff next to me, Ken Bones in the middle, Stephanie and and Melody Knapp was there as well, Dustin on the other side, and you know, then you see uh, Miranda and Kim and Christina and Rose all in the photo with us, but it was definitely uh, it was a, a great time. But the airbrushing was just the weird part for me. Yeah. He's literally like just spraying air in your face. So I have my eyes closed, and it was like, oh! like <laughs> it doesn't hurt or anything. It's just you're not expecting it. So uh, that was that was kind of the hard part for me. But then, you know, it, uh, it was great all night long. It lasted. It didn't it didn't sweat off. And then at the end of the night, I go into the bathroom, and I'm just peeling off the wounds and peeling off all mm-hmm. the stuff. And I was pretty much ready to drive home. The blood was just, you know, like a corn syrup it was and a, just a flesh chocolate syrup mixture. Yeah, it was great. And uh, and it was tasty too. Like everybody's like, "Oh, that blood was dripping into your mouth all night." I was like, "It was delicious." <laughs> I kept licking my lips. It tastes like a chocolate. Did you make it pop. out of like corn syrup or something? Corn syrup, yeah. chocolate syrup. Yep. So it's like a chocolate tussie pop. That's fun. Yeah, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I I, I really uh, I wanted to just keep wiping it off and licking it off my finger all night, but every time <laughs> that was gross. So I had to stop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everybody looked fantastic, and and I I. I actually won prom king, which oh. I did not get it either one of my real proms. So, you know, it was uh, it was a momentous occasion. It, it, I, I want to say it, it meant more. <laughs> I, I think it meant more. I think it meant more to be the actual zombie prom king than it would have been to be, you know, the prom king at in high school because it was a popularity contest in high school really right and with this it was because John Brightman made me look so awesome right and Stephanie got robbed Stephanie should have won prom queen but it went to somebody else who was also pretty good I was going to say do you know the uh, the winner I, I don't know her name she was dressed as a bride mm-hmm. it was not somebody that I knew because there was a mixture of people who were there because they do things with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and a mixture of like our paranormal you know oh, right. Legend right. Trips crowd so it was kind of a mixture of both, but it was definitely a great time. They raised a lot of money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and it was just a blast. And so Jeff's talking about maybe doing it again in the future for, for something else, for another worthy cause. So if you missed out, you will have a chance to get involved with the next one. And I highly recommend if you're going to do a zombie prom or if you're going to do anything, if you want to do a zombie photo shoot, uh, if you want to do a zombie movie, a lot of people yeah. are writing. If you want to just scare your parents, right? Yeah, whatever. Halloween. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to, you know, because listen, you can go out and buy a zombie costume at any of the pop-up Halloween stores, and what's it going to cost you, Matt? Sixty bucks, eighty bucks for some yeah, of these. They can get uh, kind of pricey, and yeah. they're not really that good. No, they're not, and it's it's a mask, or or maybe it's a kit that you got to put on yourself that you know it just isn't going to come out right. John Brightman will do zombie makeup for you, and it's surprisingly, amazingly affordable. I think he said he charges like sixty bucks to do somebody's makeup, and for sixty bucks, trust That's it, me, really? trust me, yeah. for sixty bucks, it's going to stay on. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sweat it off. How it's long does it take? About forty-five minutes. That's not bad because I mean, you you hear about people doing movie shoots and stuff, being in the chair for four, yeah. six hours. Nope, nope. nope, nothing like that. And 
it, it was pretty impressive. I think that was movie quality. It was movie quality. For, it was at least TV quality. Oh, yeah. It was Walking Dead quality. And what was great about <laughs> it was uh, that, like I said, it, it, I just peeled off some of the wounds right afterwards. Like, just literally just pulled it right off my skin, threw it in the trash. Didn't hurt. The only part that hurt was we cut up my shirt and then poured blood all over the shirt because I, I was lucky enough to go into the Salvation Army and find a real tuxedo shirt mm-hmm. for $2.50, which was oh, just nice. an amazing find. That is and, and I was like, it's a little snug. It's too tight. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. We can, we're just going to cut it. So I just put a slit up the back, and then it was, like, perfectly fine. But so we found that real tuxedo shirt. We hacked it all up with scissors. And then he poured the blood all over me. And so the blood actually seeped into some of the holes on the shirt and got stuck to my arm hair. Uh, that hurt yep. pulling off. But other than that, like, everything else was fine. Everything else was great. And I, I Pulled it off really quickly. When I got home, I just jumped in the shower. All the airbrushed makeup just washed right off. And uh, I left a little bit of a ring in the tub. But other than that, it was like 1 on 30 in the morning, so I wasn't too worried about, you know, cleaning up after myself. Right. Yeah, this just going, sir. You're just going to yeah. get this is how This is how we get to ants. Right. This is how we get to ants. <laughs> I know. In the bathtub. So, uh, it, you know, it worked out fine. It worked out fine, and, and so if you're looking for makeup, if you want to get some professional makeup done, definitely contact John. He will hook you up. You know, tell him that we recommended you. Tell him Spooky South Coast sent you, and uh, and he'll take it. He'll he'll be very gentle with you if you say that. <laughs> but only if you say that. Yeah, if you don't say it, he's going to be wicked rough. Right. He's just going to put corn syrup all over your arm hairs to rip him off. So the, I I guess for people you know if you if you're a paranormal investigator usually you're out on the weekends, you're you're out and you're investigating you're doing something whether it be uh, a private investigation or maybe you're part of an event or maybe you're going to a convention or something, you know you're you're usually busy on a Saturday night you're usually not looking for something to do on a Saturday night, but. I have to think, like, some of the some of these people that were at the zombie prom, like as I said, it wasn't just paranormal folks. Some of them were folks who do stuff with the society. But you, you could just tell they were dying to get out and do something like this. You could tell that, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you know, the effort that they put into it, the fun they were having, you know, and that's, that's what made it really especially worthwhile, you know, to have, like, cancer survivors who are like, this is great, this is the best, this is the most fun fundraiser we've ever done, you know, that's, that's the sign of, you know, you put on a really good event. So Jeff and Dustin did a fantastic job with that. And I think that, oh, and I also didn't tell you, I won a can of Spam, too. Did you? For being prom king. Wow. So I didn't bring it in, but I do have Spam. I haven't cooked it yet. I was thinking no. about it. You don't, you don't have to cook it. No, you don't. You can keep it as a trophy. Yeah. That's, but uh, that's where I was kind half, of... Half the nutrition is from that gross jelly that's inside. Is, is that... <laughs> is, I mean, is that jelly, like... I don't should, know, I, should I wash that off? I don't know. You probably could have... fried it with You the probably could have just added it to your costume. I've, I've always just kind of said to myself, I'm going to... I'm not sure what it is. I don't know. Pour what it, it out into the pan. I mean, uh, yeah, no, I take it right out of the can, yeah. pour it right into the frying pan, and just cut it down in the frying pan and then let it fry. Right. So do you have to cook it? I think it's already cooked. I've never not cooked it, but yeah. what's your favorite canned meat? I like the, uh, the, the, the cheaper version of Spam, the, the treat. It's, I think oh, it's yeah, treat. treat. Yeah, I've seen treat, yeah. 
mostly just because it's disgusting. <laughs> but, but I like the fact that it's it's like the Hydrox of specially prepared assorted meat. See, I don't think people realize that that's an actual phrase that we use for things. Hydrox? Being the Hydrox or something. <laughs> We, we yeah. frequently use that phrase, like when something's a knockoff, when it's second exactly. best. It's when either it's, a Hydrox or a GoBot. Or a GoBot. I was going to say, when it's the GoBot of of a famous product, then it's it's the Hydrox of it. You know, yeah. that's, that's something that we've said for years. But uh, I have to say, I recently have been perusing the, the canned meat sections of, like, Walmart. Is it the canned of spotted... Spotted dick? No, that's a pudding. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh. It was actually it wasn't that bad. I had some, it was, but uh, you know, because I'm here and I have to have like food that we can that I can keep in a drawer, and be able to open up mm-hmm. and eat for a snack. So I was like looking at the canned meats, and I've always been a big fan of deviled chicken, Underwood deviled chicken. I don't really care right. for the deviled ham so much. It's all right, but it's salty. I don't like salt, but the deviled chicken is wonderful. But I was looking at some of the other canned meats and i was like well you know they have like roast beef in a can they have uh potted beef in a can like all these different like things in a can that you can buy and i said you know what i've, I've always seen them and i've never tried it i'm going to try vienna sausages they're like 26 cents for a can i'm just going to try them and see if they're any good right because i'm looking at it, i'm like it's just a mini okay. hot dog is it is yeah. it though <laughs> so I'm like, it's just a mini hot dog. So I buy a can of it, and I open it up, and I don't realize that you probably should cook Vienna sausages. They're already cooked, but they're just gross and slimy out of the can. Okay. Now, anybody that knows me knows, like, I have no problem going into a store, buying a can of sardines, just eating them in the parking lot. Gross. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> sardines are good. But, you know, and I'll eat, like, the, the mussels in a can. and you know, sardines salty, though? in a can. No, not, no, not that bad, no. I get the ones in the hot sauce, too. Those are good. Yeah. Louisiana hot sauce. But uh, Vienna sausages, uh, not so good. So I think I think my days of eating meat from a can are over for a little while. So this, <laughs> the spam might sit in the cabinet for a little while. Hmm. This, is, uh, this, is ex- <laughs> this isn't exactly the... Uh, everybody in the chat room is, is reminding us that Hydrox came first. Did it? Did it, though? Did it really? This is just a Wikipedia search away, but still. Or name your source. It better not be the Daily Mail. <laughs> I'm, I still want to stick with Oreos being the best. Whether or not they were the first, it doesn't matter. They're still the best. That's true. That's true. Hydrox aren't that bad. Uh, the, the dollar store version of Oreos, though. Pff, terrible. The ones that have, like, the chocolate and vanilla sides. <laughs> no, terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to have uh, Matt get our guest, Sam Baltrusis, on the phone. Don't you oh, get sorry. those for paranormal events? <laughs> I usually don't buy those. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I only buy the good dollar store cookies for, ah, for our events. Nice. The chocolate chip ones I think are good. They're crispy. The uh, oatmeal raisins I like. And I have to get the Fig Newtons for Jeff. Most of the time we have the Fig Newtons and they don't even make right. them out in Who doesn't well, love fig bars. fruit and cake? Fig bars. Because they're from the dollar store, so they're fig bars. And sometimes I get the uh, fudge rounds. With the mm. you know the stripes on them, those are good too. All right, well that's enough uh, cookie it's and snack time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be every every show now, we seem to have a, a little bit of a snack thing. But that's all right because that's what paranormal investigators do. They go out and they buy snacks. They need snacks. They need fuel, and that's our job here is to kind of review the snacks for people to be able to help them know what it is that they want to eat when they're out on investigations. And if you are going out for an investigation. 
and you need a snack reference, you can always just hit us up, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can find us on Twitter, at SpookySC, or find our individual Twitter accounts, and just ask us for suggestions, you know? Tweet us a picture of the snack aisle and say, what should I go with? And I will always, I will never steer you wrong when it comes to snacks. All right. <laughs> Why do I know that John Tenney actually knew this information off the top of his head? He did not have to search for it. Hydrox 1908, Oreos 1912. So it took four years for them to get it right. It took four years for it to, uh, to be perfected from the Hydrox to the Oreo. Uh, but uh, I will certainly, and also... While we're still in the snack mode here, I gotta say, I am not a twist and lick and then dunk person. I gotta dunk the whole cookie in, right? And I gotta put it in just to the point where my fingertips are in the middle, <laughs> and then let it get real nice and soggy, and then pick it up and and pop it in my mouth. I thought we weren't talking about cookies, but, but John Tenney provided us with the information in the chat room. Did he? And I know that he probably just knew it off the top of his head. I'm gonna, I'm, I'll have to go back. And he says canned meats are haunted meats. I'm totally sneaking a whole bunch of Vienna sausages and 1908 and uh, and potted huh. beef and roast beef in a can and spam all that stuff onto the uh, cruise. This you year. know what Hydrox tastes like? <laughs> they were made in 1908. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they still uh, they they still taste the same way they did the day they rolled off the assembly line. Just 109 years ago. All right. Well, joining us on the line now, we have our guest for tonight, author Sam Baltrusis. He's the author of many books. Uh, he is also the host of the 13 Most, ha- 13 Most Haunted Countdown radio show as well, which recently just launched. And uh, he's also putting on the Provincetown Paracon coming up this May, and we're excited to have him on the show for the first time. Good evening, Sam. You with us? Hey, Sam. How's it going? Oh, we are spooktacular, as we say here. How about yourself? I'm spectacular as well. And so we were just talking about snacks, about what snacks you want to bring on investigations. Do you have kind of a go-to snack for when you're going to be spending all night in a haunted place? Yeah, uh, definitely uh, gummy bears uh, and, and also Vienna sausages as well. Do, do you, but you've got to cook the Vienna sausages, I would assume. I know. I heard about that. <laughs> so everybody's telling me in the chat room, like, you have to cook at least just enough to get the gel- gelatinous stuff off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the... Uh, you know the the good thing is though you, you find different things that fuel you when you're when you're out there and you're doing these investigations you find what it is gummy bears are always popular you know Jeff Blander always has the Swedish fish you know everybody has kind of their their go to thing and and it becomes part of the thing for everybody else that's involved and that's what I like about it is you know uh, we we I don't have to be the only fat guy by the end of the investigation I'm going to get everybody picking out on these snacks too uh, but. You have quite a number of, we were talking earlier in the show about how you've written quite a number of books and been able to find a lot of stories that you can fill an entire book with of just a small place. You know, instead of writing about 20 towns and putting it into one book, you're able to take one town or one region, one little area, and be able to come up with all these chapters of it. Do you find that in New England you're kind of spoiled by having all of these great areas with such a rich paranormal history? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that actually, I think you and I had, I worked for the History Press was my first book, uh, Ghost of Boston, and I wanted to do multiple locations, like outside of Boston, but they wanted me to stick to one location, which is kind of what got me started with focusing on a specific area. And I found that there was, I am spoiled, that there's so many locations in each of the cities that I write about. But of course, I write about like Boston, Salem, and Provincetown, which does have a large number of haunted locations in a small area. 
But that's, I mean, that's kind of the history press's thing, though. Like, I, my, my first book was Ghosts of the South Coast, uh, so I, I worked with them on that. And that's kind of like the idea is, you know, they want to find... They want to really get into the roots of some of these stories, and that's that's what I liked about working with them. Is I said, listen, this book just can't be a bunch of ghost stories. It's got to be about the unique and interesting history of this area. And they were more than happy to give me plenty of space to tell the strange stories, to tell the stories about how you know the settlers ended up purchasing these lands from the Native Americans and and the curses and all those kind of things. And that's what's great about this area is it's that history, that weird history, is just as intriguing as the ghost stories. Yeah, I mean, I always say that my books are history books with ghost stories, and the ghost lore it kind of lures people in, but the history is what I'm really passionate about. That's the way that I've always looked at it, too. You know, that's what we say when we do our events. We always say, you know, come for the ghost, stay for the history. It's our way of kind of tricking you into learning something, because <laughs> you're coming yeah, exactly. up to have a, a paranormal experience, and the next thing you know, you're going home being like, I didn't know about all this cool history. Uh, and, of course, you know, you're, you're – I don't want to say – I mean, I guess I could say, is is is, Ghost, is Salem your most popular book? It, by, yeah, by okay. far. I mean, go, I I wrote when I wrote Ghost Ghost of Boston was my first book, and it's still you know, uh, it still does very well. But Ghost of Salem is like international bestseller, and I I kind of knew it coming in. And my publisher, uh, History Press, really wanted me to write a book on Salem, and I thought it was you know, there's so many books on Salem, but not so many books on the paranormal aspect of Salem, which. Uh, opened up uh, a whole can of worms for me uh, in regards to research and I, I feel I'm really proud of Ghost of Salem and it's it is that's how I'm known and it's for that book because I mean I'm, I'm assuming that you know something like Boston is a popular topic but it doesn't It'll have some appeal in the paranormal world, but I think a book like Ghosts of Salem is something that, you know, people are just going to pick up when they go to Salem, or people are just going to pick up because they see something on TV, and the the, the recent WGN TV series is going to get people interested in it. It, it just seems like Salem has a more international appeal. It, it does, yeah. Like, the book, people go to Salem, and they see my book at, like, Wicked Good Books, and they sell, like, 30 to 40 copies a week, just, just as, like, more like a memento when people go to Salem, which... It's great for me, and it also, what's good about the book is it, it, it is a history book with ghost stories, so it's a lot of weird history in Salem that people didn't know about. So you said that, uh, you know, Ghosts, Ghosts of Boston was your, your first book. With doing that, I mean, how did you decide to... Uh, how did you decide what to focus in on? Because there are there are a lot of different haunted places in Boston, but a lot of them have just become legend more than anything else. Yeah, um, so I... I start, I've been a journalist for many years leading up to and I wrote a story for Stuff Magazine uh, called Haunted Hotspots in Boston. And so that was the beginnings of uh, my, my sort of switch over from journalism to paranormal journalism. And I, um, so I, I used that story in Stuff Magazine as the basis for Ghost of Boston. And I wanted, for the first book, I wanted to include Provincetown and Salem, but the publish, my publisher insisted that those chapters were so strong it could do, be a standalone book, uh, which ended up happening. Uh, so I had to really focus on like, bo- like sp- just Boston specifically. And so I, there is a lot of legend, but there's also um, the history coupled with the ghost stories. And, I, you know, I also I, I get ghost tours as well, and the ghost tours have been a major source for material. 
Well, I, I think, too, that any time you could actually be out there and, and be surrounded by the stories, it makes a difference in being able to share those stories with people than, as opposed to, you know, if you're just looking a bunch of stuff up on the Internet and, and maybe making a few phone calls to haunted places and talking to the owners and getting some background and stuff. I think actually being there and, and actually getting them getting to experience them comes across on the page to the reader a lot more than if you were just reporting on them. So it's a little bit of gonzo journalism when it comes to having to write about these haunted places. Yeah, like I'm really big about going out in the field and doing immersion journalism when I when I write these books. And, you know, Ghost of Boston, uh, and it started because I was working on a ghost tour called Haunted Boston before I wrote Ghost of Boston. And then it, I, every time I write a book, I generally, I usually launch a ghost tour. Um, so if you see me at a ghost tour, then it probably will turn into a book someday. <laughs> well, but that's what people like, though. They like to, to be able to go on these tours and hear the stories and experience them but then you know they're trying to remember the story they're trying to share the story with somebody else and and the book almost becomes a nice companion piece to it a nice way to kind of go back and also you can get a little bit deeper into the story as well yeah and the people that go on my tours end up in my books too which is kind of an added bonus well, that's uh, that's always the the fun part is you know when you're taking somebody out on a tour. I've seen it happen on some of the ghost tours that I've been on where people they just want to go and they want to hear about the stories. They don't realize that by the end of the tour they might be one of the stories. <laughs> it happens all the time with my with my ghost tours. <laughs> and uh, and our friend Jeff uh, runs uh, Jeff Campbell runs the ghost tours in, in Plymouth, and he does them a different way where he actually gives people investigative equipment when they're out on the tours and and says to them like. Here, you're not just going to hear these stories. You're going to try and experience these things for yourself. And he says, you know, invariably people are always, you know, having experiences on. And and what's great about that is, like you said, it gives you another story to tell, but it also gives more validity to the stories for the next group, too, because you can say, hey, just the last tour, somebody had something happen. Yeah, I, most of my tours are just general uh, walking tours, but I did run a tour in Salem that was an investigation tour, and it was it was so difficult to have the investigation go on in Salem, especially in October because it's so busy in October. So I, you know, I have done the investigation, and I, um, I you know I I prefer to keep the tours separate from the investigation tours because I think that it's just so difficult to have sixty people on your in your tour and have them all touch the equipment. Right. And especially too, where uh, you know you you don't know what people's level of familiarity is with it, and uh, you know I, I always love when we do events and I hand somebody a K two meter and immediately they just start swinging it all around in the air like it's a you know an Egon Spengler PKE meter. It's like no 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 hold still. <laughs> Every time you shake it, you're causing that thing to go off. <laughs> so you can't really you know take the time to show everybody individually how to how to use the equipment. Yeah, and I, I think that it would be really good to have you know if, like with the the Provincetown Paracon maybe have a session where we do kind of go over the equipment before the investigation mm -hmm. to kind of give people the basics if they don't know how to use the equipment. And I think, and I'm sure that you're you're like us too. I mean, anybody that's really in this field, you're not independently wealthy. You're not getting a big research budget from anybody to be able to go out and buy. You know, some of the TV shows that they you, you've seen some of the more fancy equipment on those. That's because they have a budget for that. You know, they have money set aside for that. Actual investigators are just buying this stuff out of their own pocket. They don't have money to go spend ten thousand dollars on a on a FLIR camera. But we find ways, and we find uh, ways to figure things out on our own. And, and flea markets and yard sales and thrift stores become our best friends. Yeah, I'm really big about uh, finding hacks and showing people how to do. Uh, paranormal investigating hacks uh, when I do my investigations. I'm, I'm going to actually just grab something that's behind me for the cameras of Spooky TV. Hang on. Okay. 
this is something that I picked up at uh, the Kmart here that's going out of business, uh, the one right by the studio. This was uh, all the rage this year at, at Christmas time for all the lazy people that didn't want to actually go out and string up lights, which I can say that because my wife does that. I don't have to do it. So, But all the people who go out and, and, and are looking for the easy way out to decorate their house, they came out with these laser projectors that you put in your front yard, and you plug them in, and you shine them on your house, and it makes your house look like it's covered in Christmas lights, but in actuality, it's just this little thing plugged into your front yard on a, on a stake in your, in your grass, and they had them for sale over there and everything's like 20 30 40 percent off so i picked one up so for 14 bucks i basically have a plug-in laser grid now that's awesome which uh, do they still have those Tim? they do they still have some left uh, they, they probably had about 10 or 15 of them left but uh this is going to be great because we can use this at provincetown paracon and uh and we can plug it in somewhere and we don't have to worry about you know the ghost draining the batteries or the batteries just draining on their own and people thinking it's a ghost but we can uh we can make sure that we have a steady stream all night long of of uh, laser lights so the only problem is we got to rig up a little stand for it we got to figure that part out and we got to figure out you know where to get power for it but those are all problems we worry about later we got the lights they look pretty they work that's all that matters have you? Um, so I actually am using something that's like a toilet light. <laughs> it's like a motion detector, like toilet, toilet light, and it was, it it, it uh, sets off if there's motion in the room. I just have to figure out how to use it, though. Yeah, I mean those, those are the great things to get. I always go into the Salvation Army, and if I see a baby monitor, I'll usually grab the baby monitor because those work two ways. They'll work as being something that you can use for communication from one room to another, but also it works great for like a white noise generator, like a static generator to be able to try and pick up something through those noise. And anybody that's ever had a baby and used the baby monitor knows you get some creepy stuff coming through those things. <coughs> so that's definitely worth I mean, it's just, just all these little things that you can pick up here and there. And, yeah, you know, it's good to have the, the good equipment, the real equipment, and we'll have some of that at Provincetown Paracon as well. But sometimes it's just this little stuff that you can – find along the way instead of having to invest thousands of dollars in equipment. But the best tool to bring with you is yourself, always. Absolutely. So, Tim, what do you think about the spirit box? Like, Are, are you a, a fan of that? Uh, I have them, and I've used them. I don't know if I believe in them 100%, but I've also had very weird stuff come through them, too. Yeah, I've, me too. I've had language that shouldn't come through, you know, words that are being said that shouldn't be over the radio. Uh, I've had it call people by their names directly. Uh, when when we were using one with uh, on an investigation with Jeff Belanger, it was actually calling him by his first and last name. So, you know, there's been enough weird things that have happened that I, I still bring them along, but I don't know if I really put stock in everything that comes through them, especially because a lot of the times you're hearing stuff in the moment that when you go back and you play it back, you're like, oh, that's not what it said at all. And I think that that doesn't mean that you were wrong. I just think that you were tuned into something else at the time that that was kind of just like a little bit of a, an auditory aid to help you get the message, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I, I always view it as like a novelty, but I'm, I've been blown away myself with the Spirit Box sessions. And I, um, I tend to not want to use it, but then it's so theatrical, and people people are usually kind of freaked out by what what you know, what when you use it on an investigation. So I tend to I do whip it out sometimes. And the the good thing about spirit boxes too is, again, you know there's there's been a rise of DIY stuff with those where it becomes. Not so much about buying the best one, but more about finding something that you can hack yourself and, and you can 
you can actually modify it to the way you want to do it. And I think that that's been a big thing for a lot of people. That's why I think every investigator usually has one of those. And they'll say the same thing. I don't know if I always believe it, but they at least have it because it's so easy and affordable to get one. And you don't always have to go out and buy the ones that are on the websites either. You can you can just find the schematics and do it yourself. Matt Costa has been great at that. Wherever um, my co-host Matt Costa, whenever we find something, we'll be like, hey, Matt, can you figure out how to, how to hack this? And, and usually he can one way or another. Yeah, I miss Radio Shack. It's like the whole like Shack hack we, thing uh, was a lot of fun to do. We're lucky. We live in one of the few. We live in a town where they still have one of the few Radio Shacks left. Oh, that's good. I had to go and uh, go to your Radio Shack. <laughs> you can you can always go in and find like just weird stuff and uh, you know just little like I got. What did I get one time in there? Like a, a sound meter. Actually, I think I got that at a, at a yard sale, but it's a Radio Shack sound meter, and it measures you know, the decibels of sound. So if you're recording audio, you can actually run that next to it, and you can actually see if there was any kind of fluctuation in that. So you pick up a sound, you pick up a noise, it sounds like a bang, but then you go and you look at the sound meter, and there was never anything that registered on the sound meter. So everybody heard it, but the sound didn't actually exist, which is pretty fascinating stuff. And You're gonna bring bring all this stuff to Provincetown. Oh, we definitely will. We'll have everything. You know what I have that I'll bring with me? It's controversial, but people like to look at it. It lights up. I have one of the few working ghost arcs. Oh, that, I'm, I'm, that's a, that's awesome. And I say that cool. I say that it's working right now. Whether or not it will be by the time we get to Provincetown Paracon, <laughs> I don't know because you know it's not like I can send it off to be fixed because they've totally disappeared off the face of the earth. But I I do have one that we can we can try and we can use and i've used it for it works really good for ghost box stuff and for evp recording but for everything else it's just way too off uh to get kind of accurate measurements so, something that i i'm interested in because i saw it on um, kindred spirits with amy and adam was the as a boo buddy so using the bear as a trigger yes yep uh, have you used that before i've been on investigations where people have had them um, a friend of ours actually has one of the dogs which is the uh. same idea. I think it's uh, Bob Christopher that makes the dogs. Uh, he'll be at Salem Con too, so people can pick him up there if they if they're looking for one. But it's, I mean, I like the idea of having these trigger objects that spirits can interact with because you take away that human element of saying, well, somebody was standing right next to it. It could have been their cell phone going off. Like now you're able to be in a completely separate room and you just have this device sitting there. And it's it's getting interacted with, it's getting played with, it's getting used. So I think that that is, you know, the the more you can kind of show that it's not people that are directly influencing it, the more interesting it is to me. Although I do think people have to have some bit of influence over it for it to happen, it's good to be able to, to show that to people and say, hey, look, this dog is in this room, nobody else was even on that floor, or this bear, you know, nobody else was even around it, and it just lit up on its own. Something was interacting with it. And it makes for really good television, too. Well, it certainly does. I mean, yeah. they like stuff that lights up. That's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, is, there, is there anything that when you're on an investigation that you have to have with you? Is there anything that you won't? You know, and it, it, it can be, you know, a generic thing, like I have to have a digital recorder. Or it could be a specific, like I have to have this digital recorder. Yeah, I mean, I, so I'm a paranormal researcher, so I, I tend to get really bored on investigations. But the past year, I've kind of... Um, it's changed because I started getting into. I started do. I did an e, like a, a EVP session that just kind of freaked me out. So I, I I'm like an EVP person. Um, so I have my recorder that I use uh, when I do an investigation. But I'm also I'm old school. So I, I do like pendulum and um, I do I, you know I do 
I, and I'm also big on, on kind of educating people about the basics of paranormal investigating. So I, I do investigate, uh, but it's more in, a, in an education instructor kind of way. I've kind of gone away, though, myself personally, from having to have, you know, proof of everything and, and, and having to have data collection all the time. Like, you know, we do our events that we run with Jeff Belanger. They're called Legend Trips. And right. we push the idea of legend tripping versus paranormal investigation. You know, there's elements of, of both in our events, but I think there's elements of both in any good investigation. And sometimes I just like to sit in a dark room and, and not turn on any devices and just see what happens. And sometimes I think that's kind of uh, just as fascinating as seeing if something's lighting up in my hand or, you know, if something's uh, making a noise. I, I went from like the paranormal investigation to the idea of a paranormal experience because uh, I was managing the the U.S. of Seattle and there was a, a haunted attraction called Ghost Ship Harbor and I was working with like, Rachel Hoffman and John Brightman was on for a while too and that was that was kind of a nightmare so it was kind of, and, and how you know there were so many people that walked through how do you make that turn that into a paranormal experience and when they're there for fifteen twenty minutes right so that that was extremely difficult. You know, and I, I definitely want to get more into to the Salem and, and some of the other places where we've done events coming up in the next hour, and we're definitely going to talk more about Provincetown as well. But one story that I just want to share with you really quickly, I don't know if I've ever had the chance to tell you this, but I've had now happen on a couple of occasions on the Salem uh, in Third Mess, which is one of the more active areas, as you know. Yeah. But oh, in, absolutely. I always like to do this thing. I have two K2 meters, and I always try to use them side by side if I can because I want to see if one picks up and the other one doesn't. Because, you know, if you have two side-by-side, side, it's probably not a fluctuation in the atmosphere because both of them should pick it up, in theory. So I, I try to use both with maybe like a, a foot or two in between. So we have them on the floor of Third Mess, and the second to last time I was there, they were going crazy, and it was very interesting. So the second time, uh, the last time I was there, I was with Karen Tatro for one of her events, and I said, let's try this again and see if we get the same results. So we put them down, and sure enough, you know, we're getting these fluctuations, and it's not a constant, so it's not like there's an electrical line running underneath. And so we leave them out there, and somebody happened to have a laser beam, not a laser grid. He thought he was ordering a laser grid when he ordered this thing online from China, but in actuality, it's just a solid green laser beam that was so powerful it could light a cigarette. I mean, this, this thing, and when he put it across the room, like you didn't want to walk through it because it was, it was warm. So he puts this laser beam across the room to, to try and see if anything disrupts it. So I say to him, hey, when those K2 meters are going off, point the laser beam across them on the floor and see if anything breaks up the, the beam. And sure enough, when he po pointed that across, it looked like there were two legs standing over where the where the uh, laser beam was getting disrupted uh, by whatever was standing there. It was amazing. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen happen. You know, you know, like that area is, is the, in my opinion, the most active on the U.S. of Salem. And right beneath that, the birthing area below is, um, is where they kept the bodies. Yes, yeah. And, and that's why I always tend to go toward that direction. Uh, actually, and my other favorite area is, uh, what's it, Anchor Windless? Is that, is that the, yeah. the name of the area? Yeah. Unfortunately, like, and, uh, we weren't able to bring people to the most haunted areas uh, on the U.S. of Salem during the event. Um, but a lot of people who worked on the vessel were able to go. And I, I have, so, in fact, I'm going to write a book about it. It was so many experiences. And, you know, your experience with a laser, it's just, it, you know, it adds to the mystique of the hauntings on that vessel. 
I love the Salem. I love the stories. I love being there. I love investigating it. But there's there's always there's always a challenge when it comes to doing an event or doing an investigation on the Salem. There's always some sort of monkey wrench thrown into the uh, into the plans. Yeah, like our monkey wrench was the day before we launched. We had well, there was a lot of rain. That was a major monkey wrench. But the uh, fire department said we could not bring people on uh, beneath on the second deck or uh, the, the decks below. So we were we were screwed. We had a basically turn, you know, something that we've been working on for an entire month uh, and, and restructure it in a day. So that was our huge monkey wrench, was the uh, the, police, uh, the fire department. There's all, it, just, it just seems that way. There's always something. The last the last moment that I had on an investigation on that ship, it was, it was last May, was down in one of the museum rooms where they have all the mannequins set up. Yeah. And at the end of the night, I swear, those things were, were doing something. They, to the point where, like, I was like, okay, now I might even be getting a little bit scared, because yeah. it just you could you could tell like something was happening with those. But that's what's great about that ship is you know you can put yourself right into that moment of what it was like being on that ship and serving because everything literally they just walked away when it was decommissioned. They just left everything the way that it was, and people have left it that way since. Did you encounter so the area that you know the area where you had the laser beam experience in the third mess hall? That was also where the the Burning Man. Did you have that encounter with the, the so-called Burning Man? Uh, no, but that actually creates something. That creates some pretty interesting questions in my mind because uh, we had a very intriguing experience in that back area where we saw smoke. We were in third mess. We only got about two minutes before the news, so I'm going to try and get this out as quick as I can. Okay. But we were in third mess, and then you know that area. Uh, I guess. What's it for going forward into the ship? So right. the, the next room over, they have that little area where, like, you can drop down to all the decks. You can see that little hole that goes down to all through all the decks. So yeah. there was two people sitting out in that area, and I saw smoke coming in from that area. Everybody saw smoke, like a big puffy billow of smoke come through. And I immediately ran in there because I knew that the people that were in there, one of them was a vapor. So I was like, I hope he's not vaping on the ship. I'm going to have to tell him he can't vape. So I go in there, and I was like, you can't vape on the ship. He's like, I, I didn't. And I was like, whoa. Well, it smells like like cherry, like pipe tobacco. But his was like some sort of, you know, like uh, some sort of other, like wintergreen smell or something. And I was like, well, that's not what we, sm-. you know, he had me smell the flu. I was like, that's not what we smelled. And that's not what we saw come through. So there was literally, like, smoke that had come through that had, like, a, a, a wood smell to it. Yeah, there definitely, um, that that occurred with us as well. And then it got, as the season progressed, it got progressively more active. Um, as it got closer to Halloween. So we'll, we could maybe talk about some of those things because that's pretty similar to what happened to me as well oh nice we'll definitely pick that up on the other side of the news we are going to take a break for the network news right now when we come back on the other side we'll talk more with our guest sam baltrusis you can check out his website during the break you can find his personal website 13mosthaunted.com the number 13mosthaunted.com you can also go to amazon find all of his books as well and uh, and then you can find as well his uh, new 13 most haunted countdown radio show on his website as well too so all those great ways to follow along with everything that we're talking about tonight including the Provincetown Paracon, which we'll talk about coming up next as well. Uh, So stay tuned. We'll have more Spooky South Coast for you following the news in just a few moments.
back. Our number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, Stephanie Burke, and science advisor Matt Moniz, both off tonight. But that's all right, because the silent assassin and I, silent assassin and I, have you covered old school style. Remember, it was eleven years ago we started doing this. Uh, I don't remember eleven minutes ago. You don't remember eleven minutes ago. No. Eleven minutes ago, we were just talking about. Uh, Ghosts with Sam Baltrusis, our guest, and who we'll, right. we'll get right back right. in the discussion with him in a second. But Big fan of Vienna sausage. Just saying, 11 years ago, we were sitting here, what's this, two weeks, three weeks after the anniversary? So, yeah, like 11 years ago, we were sitting here talking to John Zaffis. Right. Which we were, like, so blown away by the fact that he would even agree to come on our show. He had Jay-Z. The original Jay-Z. Yep. yep. So, all these years later... We're still going strong. 486 shows later. He hasn't been on in a while. No, I don't think we've had him on hmm. since uh, since his uncle passed away. Hmm. It's all right. We'll see him at, uh, at Salem Con. I'll, I'll start needling him about coming back on the show. He'll do it any time. We just haven't asked him. super guy. We just haven't asked him. That's why. It's our fault, not his. All right, let's get right back into the discussion with tonight's guest, Sam Baltrusis. And, and Sam, you were telling us about uh, about this entity that you've been encountering on the USS Salem. Yeah, I mean, we we had multiple encounters on the USS Salem, um, but um, yeah, there was the Burning Man, and the Burning Man. We did. We also encountered uh, pipe smoke that was inexplicable. There's no smoking allowed on USS Salem. But I had a situation where, and of course, I thought the Burning Man was kind of like a made-up uh, story, but where the temp- the temper- temperature fluctuations go from uh, cold to extremely hot, like roasting hot within a few minutes and that that happened multiple times with me and you know they were like oh the burning man came in the room but it was it was it was definitely uh the temperature fluctuations just really freaked me out yeah it's just it's really strange some of the things that happened there because if you go back and you look at some of the history and i i know that you have but when you look at the fact that there wasn't a lot of uh, negative stuff that happened. It was just kind of circumstantial bad things that happened. You know, it wasn't like you know there was uh, there was any kind of uh, overtly bad things that happened on the USS Salem. It just was used in some tragic cir- circumstances when it was running as a hospital ship. So it has some of that activity, but overall, there's a lot of love on the ship as well. You can feel a lot of the. The, the people who served on the ship that are still around it because they loved it and they cared for it. Yeah, and the, the love is um, definitely, when I first, uh, you know, was on the vessel before the haunted attraction took place, that you felt that positive energy. It wasn't negative, but um, I feel like the spirits are very, uh, you know, territorial as well. And when we had the haunted attraction, uh, the spirits went haywire, and it, it went from a loving uh, experience to a not so loving experience as the season progressed. Huh. Well, I think though with with that ship though, the more that you, I mean, we see it all the time with the with the guides and with the team that works on the ship, or I guess used to. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but yeah. you you see a lot of the the people who spend a lot of time there. They will tell you like you develop relationships with the spirits. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, I um, I, I definitely felt that, uh, see my. My um, encounters were there were a lot of there was a ghost kid that I experienced a lot on that vessel that I felt pretty um, attuned with. And I, you know, even even though uh, there was a lot of love on the vessel, I think that the uh, the earthquake in Greece 
um, really did leave a psychic imprint on right. that location. So I think there was a lot of uh, energy confusion from that the 1953 when it, when it um, they took in all the all the people from the Ionian earthquake, uh, earthquake in Greece. But I mean, again, too, you're dealing with something where. Uh even though there was bad things that happened, it was a very heroic effort on the part of the Salem crew to to be able to save as many people as they did. And I know that it weighed on them because I, you know, we were lucky enough to to have somebody on the ship who had served on the ship, and yeah. you know, they talked about the 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 weight that that played on the crew, where they felt like they they just couldn't have done enough. They they want they wish they could have done more for the people who they were trying to rescue. Yeah, and, and I think that um, in some of the some of the people that died. And I think I, I'm a big believer that in the stone tape theory. So I think that the energy that may be there, it's not, you don't have to necessarily die on the vessel to leave that energy. Um, so I think that some of the people may not be dead that left a sort of psychic imprint on, on that vessel. Oh, absolutely. And, and you can certainly feel it. I, I love the all the nooks and crannies that people don't always go to and, and check out. That's where you seem to find the most activity, too, is in the, all these weird places. The only bad part is, though, is whatever clothes you wore on the ship, you, you kind of got to burn them afterwards. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. That ship yeah, stink. A, yeah, there, I, um, I, when I walked on, um, it was like it smelled like death. I mean, it just had the stench to it. And they're like, oh, that's the paint. And I'm like, oh, there was like, a, like an epoxy they put on the, on the ship that I guess all cruisers uh, smell like that or all naval vessels smell like that but I, I was kind of blown away and I, I didn't mind that I read because it was I loved I loved that of the US of Salem it's it's one of my favorite places to investigate as long as I'm going not in the months between like the end of May and the end of September you kind of yeah, got to avoid it because it's just so hot it's so hot yeah and I um, I would like to go back when it's colder um, just because I'm, I'm kind of curious I I I, I wouldn't say I fled the U.S. to Salem, but I left a week early to do other uh, events that I was working on in October. But I, I was by the end of it, I was it was time for me to go. Yeah, it's what, what's good about that though is it gives you the chance to kind of give a case study to one place and 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 be able to document things. And I'm sure you've had that opportunity in other locations too to be able to go back again and again, like like we have with Lizzie Borden's, where you get the chance to just go there time after time and kind of keep a a running journal in your own notes of what goes on and and be able to start to piece all the pieces together. Yeah, I'm also I, I find it interesting that locations that were not necessarily active like five, ten years ago. Um, they, you know, they appear on these shows like Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters, and they, uh, they're, they become, they become very active. And I'm wondering if people bring their own stuff to the vessel, like their own stowaways uh, to the locations. I've, uh, I've absolutely thought that, and I've also thought because, and we can get into this certainly, and we definitely will get into this at, at the uh, Provincetown Paracon because yeah. I can't not talk about these things when I'm, when I'm giving a lecture, but. One of the things that I have an issue with is everybody wants a ghost to be a dead person, and I don't think that it's always the case. I don't think it always has to be a disembodied soul, and I think we go to these places looking at them and thinking that it's haunted, and we can all kind of create ghosts with our own minds. We can we can create these you know thought forms, these what the Tibetans call tulpas. We can we can put enough energy into a place that we think should be haunted, and we can make it haunted. And I think that's yeah. what happens in a lot of these places. And I definitely feel that for a lot of the locations in my book, 13 Most Haunted in Massachusetts, I think that if you talk to people that investigated it or before it became a phenomenon um, and it became a hot spot for people to investigate, um, it's a lot more active now than it was five, ten years ago. 
Is there a, a place that you've had the chance to investigate that, you know, maybe it's not featured in one of your books? Uh, maybe there's a place that you've gone to that hasn't gotten a lot of publicity and you've been able to kind of investigate away from the spotlight? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the joys of the, the Provincetown Paracon. I mean, it's it's virgin territory. So um, Adam Berry lives in Provincetown, uh, but he doesn't investigate. He did, he's, when he first started, before he became... Uh, was part of Ghost Adventures, the Academy. Uh, he, Ghost Hunter, sorry, Ghost Hunters Academy. Uh, he did do some early investigations, and that's where he got its start. But it's a very untapped uh, resource when it comes to investigations. It's amazing because I did a lecture at the Provincetown Library uh, a couple of years ago during Halloween season, and. Yeah. I'm setting up and I'm talking with people and I'm, I'm asking them about some of their own experiences. And it's just, it's not something that a lot of the locals discuss down there. No, not at all. Yeah, it's, I, I also did a, my, when I wrote my first book, they invited me to do a, a lecture in, at the library. And I had like four people at my lecture. <laughs> I, think, I think I had maybe about that, maybe a few more. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but one of them was a dog. So I don't know if I should count that as a, as a because the dog was probably the, the most attentive out of everybody there. But that's probably because I probably smelled like Burger King. The the uh, the good thing about it though is you know you're in an area where, you know, Provincetown has a very artsy culture. It has a, there's there's a lot of performances that go on there. There's a lot of just kind. Of, it's a very uh, uh, it's an it's a very conducive atmosphere to being creative, and it's a very conducive atmosphere to being open minded. It's very it's the kind of place where you want to go and and throw out some of these interesting theories about ghosts because people might not be tied into one particular theory. And I was kind of shocked that when I was talking to the crowd, like half of them didn't even believe in it. They just wanted something to do on a Tuesday night. You know, it's like, come on, this is great. This is, this is today. This is, we're, we're, we're trying to break down that wall, that barrier of saying, you know, ghosts aren't real. We're, we're past that now. We're trying to figure out what they are. We're accepting that they're real. Now we've got to figure out the why. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time, like when I was writing uh, my book on Provincetown, in Provincetown, and it's funny that they put on the facade that they don't believe in ghosts. They're really tight-lipped about it. But when you get down, when you when you spend a lot of time there, people start opening up. And I, I had this, the same initial uh, impression that, that people in Provincetown, which, by the way, it's very, like, there's a, like a thousand people during off-season, and it swells to about 60,000 during, during the winter, I'm sorry, during the summer. So... It's a it's a tourist destination, so a lot of people are not there year round, and I think the people that are there year round are the ones who have the paranormal encounters. Well, I, and I think of a lot of people who have gone to the Cape, you know, they they've gone and they visited the Cape, and they think of Provincetown as being very similar to the rest of the Cape. For anybody that's actually made the drive all the way to Provincetown, you, it's a different world. You are basically driving off the face of the earth and then finding this little town a couple miles later because as you're going down through all those dunes and everything, it just seems like utter desolation, like there's nothing around. And then you get to this great, vibrant community, and you can understand why they are protective of what goes on there because they are kind of isolated from everything else. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's very magical. It's kind of a hiding spot for people uh, like the mafia, the mafia was notoriously they would go to Provincetown. So like Whitey Bulger would stay in Provincetown because because he could uh, recharge his batteries, but also kind of like be, be out of the public eye. So it's a very secretive uh, community that they don't talk about things. They don't talk about what ha what happens in Provincetown stays in Provincetown. 
one of the great things about it, though, is, as you said, it's it's kind of untapped territory for investigation, but you are able to find some places that will be involved in an investigation in conjunction with the Provincetown Paracon. Yeah, and, you know, with that kind of getting, alluding to what you were talking about, people not being open to it, it's been difficult to find people that are willing to open up their location to be investigated, but we're out... Adam's, Adam Berry's friends with, uh, there's the UU Church, which is, was used as a board during the plague of 1918 that is very active, that we're hoping to uh, use as our primary investigation location. And we have to get approvals from the board, of their board of directors. But I should know by this week if we, if we can investigate that location. There's, uh, there's certainly enough weird stories and enough legends and everything that, that go on there, that even if there aren't haunted places that we can look at per se, or, or places with a history of haunts per se, there's enough great history around that they might not, you know, there's places that might be haunted that just don't know it yet until we get yeah. there. You know what I mean? Well, I, you know, Adam, I, I feel strongly, like, you throw a rock down Commercial Street, which is the main drag. Any location that you go on Commercial Street has a haunted backstory to it. And because you know, because of, of the history, that, that's where the pilgrims first landed before they came into Plymouth. So uh, you know, it, it goes back you, it, you know to the very beginnings, and it also has a very strong native backstory too, and um, Revolutionary War, Civil War era uh, history, and then, then it became a, a major fishing uh, area and welling. The welling industry was huge in Provincetown. Well, I, def- I definitely want to get more into this uh, coming up in just a couple minutes here. We have two calls in the line, and I know who one of them is, so okay. I'm going to just ask her to hang on for a second and take this other call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Sam Baltrusas. How are you? Hello? Hi. You're, yeah. on, you're um, on the air. There's a spot down in uh, Fort Rodman where, um, you know, where the entrance um, goes, those tunnels go underneath. In, yep. At Fort Rodman uh-huh. on the beach, it's totally it, it's there's spirits in there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I was just walking at the door like ever since I was uh, I'm in my fifties now, but even since I was a teenager or up to twenty years old, um, I when we go near there, the entrances to the uh, with it. I guess those are um, shelters, you know, the bomb the, shelters. The, the, the battery battery Millican. What's that? The battery that's in the back, the one that's in the hill, or the, or the smaller ones up yeah, front? Yeah, yeah, the ones that are in the back where you could just, it's right there at the ocean. Yes, right the, yep. Right there. As soon as, like, I'm outside of it, I'm okay. But as soon as you go in, right into one, I can feel it immediately. Oh, I can yeah. feel that the spirits are right there, and it just kind of uh, tickles me. I, I get this feeling, this sensation of um, that I can feel them. And well, there are definitely um, people who were killed in there, tortured in there, because I can feel that there's screaming still going well, on. Well, those those stones hold it in. I can tell you, I've had some of my strangest experiences at uh, at Fort Rodman. So I mean, it's it's really it's it's a very very haunted place. The whole the whole park is completely haunted. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad um, you confirmed that because I've always had these feelings, and I've told people, and they're like, "Nah, you're crazy. That that stuff doesn't exist." But you just confirmed what I just said about all those feelings that I've had, and you just confirmed it. And it's like, it's, it's and really, and even if, I, if I'm if i outside of it, uh, I think I'm all right. But as soon as I go right near the entrance to those places, I feel them. 
Well, now's the time where I have to put in my disclaimer that uh, you're not allowed to trespass in any of those places or anybody that's listening. You know, don't go into Battery Millican. You know, the, don't go into these places at night. You know, don't do not do anything without permission down there because right. the, the city gets very upset when we start talking about how haunted it is and then people show up trying to investigate. So just got to throw that disclaimer out there. All right. Well, All thank right, you very much for the call. You're welcome. Have, have a good, good day. Bye-bye. And now let's bring in our other caller. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey, guys. How are you? It's Stephanie Burke. Sam? Hey. We, uh, we, we We pulled her away from the party down there for a few moments. She was uh, drinking the cuckoo cola with the cult. I mean, uh, partying with oh, you at work. I still too. am. Okay. I still am. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually standing by the water on Tampa Bay right now, surrounded by palm trees. But I miss you guys so much, I decided to call in. Well, of course, you will be there at the Provincetown Paracon. I absolutely will, and I am so, so, so excited to go. You have no idea. So one of the things that we were talking about is the the fact that, you know, it's just it's such a great place to be. It's such a great, vibrant community anyway, on, a to- on top of being a place that's, that's very haunted. And for those, Stephanie, who aren't from the area, you know, just tell them how great Provincetown is overall. Oh, absolutely. It's the absolute tip of Cape Cod. You can't get any further out if you tried. It's beautiful down there, especially that time of year, but all the shops and the restaurants and just the feel of old Cape Cod is amazing, and it's full of great energy and haunted energy, and I can't wait to bring the boom to Provincetown. And, Sam, one of the things that we are familiar with uh, with Stephanie here on the show is, you know, she has no problem with ghosts. She has no problem with encountering ghosts. She's terrified of aliens. So I, think, I am completely terrified of aliens. When she sees that wide open sky out there in Provincetown, you know, she's going to start getting a little nervous, keeping an eye on the sky. Yeah, um, just a heads up. But it's actually Truro, which is the town right, right coming into Provincetown that has the uh, – the UFO backstory. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, um, maybe I'll stay in my hotel room. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. But um, <laughs> I, um, I guess I call it the fear of the unknown. It's funny. You can send me to a place that has negative energy, that, you know, rumors of demonic anything, spirits, ghosts, whatever it may be, maybe even Bigfoot. But aliens, I have not tackled aliens yet, and I am not entirely sure if I'm willing to. So maybe we'll find out that night. Well, if anybody's going to get abducted by aliens at night, it'll be you, because it ain't going to be me. Thank you, Tim. Thank oh, you so much. But I, I, I'll ladies first. Ladies first. No, no, no. Have you ever seen The Walking Dead, where they sacrifice the guy first? That's going to be you, not me. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll figure that out. we got some time. All yeah. right. Well, thank you for uh, for checking in. You, you thank got, you. You guys partying down there? Say hi to everybody for us. Yes, I definitely will. We're having a great time, but I wanted to check in. And obviously, you know, Sam's there, and I wasn't able to come and meet him and... Um, talk in person but i wanted to call you guys and at least say hi because i'm here and i'm sad that i'm missing out and i'm i'm not so sad about the snow though so yeah you're definitely missing out on that hey i know that there's a pay-per-view tomorrow so he's probably not around but if you happen to see chris jericho just remember you guys are friends now so you can go right up to him all right sounds great all right definitely do that (laughs) have a good night all right bye guys thanks bye stephanie See, Hi. that that goes back to the the last time she, well, the first time she was down there for one of those conventions, she actually ran into Chris Jericho at the hotel bar and was, like, sending me pictures and telling me, like, Chris Jericho's here, knowing what a huge fan I am of his. And we had, <laughs> we had the chance to work with him on a, on a TV project uh, last year, so now she has no reason not to go up to him and talk to him, so... But, uh, yeah, he's a big paranormal guy. You should you should look into getting him for future conventions. Yeah, yeah I've, uh, I've actually heard about that, and... Um 
I would, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, I think that you bring in the bigger names and people, you know, want to meet these people. So I, I maybe, maybe my next Paracon, I will. I, I, I don't think it gets any bigger than the lineup that you have now. I mean, yeah, you got a schlub like me, but you also got great names like Adam Berry and Amy Bruni will be there. Uh, and of course, uh, this is the part that I'm excited about. I, I've known Greg and Dana Newkirk for years now from doing the show, from talking to them on the show and talking to them about different paranormal things. I've never actually seen the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, and it will be there at Provincetown Paracon. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be there on Friday. Uh, for the, they're the headliners for the Friday night VIP party. And if you are a VIP pass holder, you're going to be able to see the, their Traveling Museum of the Paranormal before anybody else. So that this is from seven to eight o'clock, and then the party starts at eight o'clock. Uh, and um, I recommend getting the VIP pass so you can uh, actually see the museum before the masses see the museum. And this isn't just like a museum where stuff is under glass and you're going to walk by and look. They actually have you ha- uh, hold the objects and interact with the objects after you sign the waiver, of course, because they don't want to be responsible for anything that attaches itself to you. But you can actually see these these objects and, and touch them yourself and and uh, and hear the stories that they have about these because this is crazy stuff that they're talking about and then you find out like it's it's all true as crazy as it sounds it's all true these these things have spirits attached to them and wherever they bring them it seems the activity follows yeah i'm, I'm a little uh, wary of <laughs> where, where, where are they going to keep all that i think they're going to keep it out back uh the, overnight but um I, um, I'm very excited about, especially the Amityville Horror pl- uh, plaque that was on. There was a Mysteries at the Museum uh, this on last Thursday that really intrigues me. From what I understand, the only thing you really have to worry about is Billy the Idol. Oh, yeah. That's the one that causes all the problems. Oh, that's great. It's got the best, it's got the best name out of any haunted o- object ever, Billy the Idol. But. <laughs> The, uh, but they'll be there, and uh, and as I mentioned before, uh, and you had mentioned Adam Berry will be there, and Amy Bruni, the stars of Kindred Spirits, and I can tell you that I've had the chance to investigate with, with Amy and Adam. I've had the chance to spend time with them. You couldn't ask for two better people to, you, you know, they're, they're people who have been on TV, but they're not TV stars, you know. They're regular people. They're regular investigators, and they will hang out with everybody. They will investigate with people. They'll talk to you just like you're a person, and they're just very down to earth and they want to know about what it is that you do and they want to know about what it is that you use and i have to say i could get into a conversation with either one of them for hours about little minutia of the paranormal that i don't think really anybody else would be able to offer the same insight that they can yeah i um i adam and i i met adam when i wrote my first book ghost to boston and we've been friends since then and I, i've actually never met amy in person so i'm really looking forward to working with her i heard great I mean, I, definitely as an investigator, she's one of the best out there. And what's great about them together is they they have such a chemistry and such a connection, and it, it works with other people, too. Like, when you investigate with them, it's like automatically you just tune into the same vibe that they're on. Everybody's on the same wavelength. I invested, you know, the, the caller had called in and talked about Fort Rodman. I investigated over at Fort Rodman with, with Amy, and stuff was just going crazy. And she's looking at me saying, you know, everybody talks about all these cases we've done on TV, but... This is some of the craziest stuff that I've ever seen, and that's what's great about it is they have that perspective that they can put things into because they've been to all these places. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in Fort Robin, Fort Tabor, because I, um, I know that's more your territory, but I, I, um, I first heard about the hauntings there a couple years ago. And actually, when I uh, talked with Sherry, uh, she's on Ghost Hunters, uh, Sherry, 
uh, she mentioned that they were going to investigate that. Uh, ghost, uh, the ghost hunters were going to investigate that location. And I was, I, I've actually never been there, and I've heard amazing stories about the hauntings there. It's uh, unfortunately now the city has really cracked down on things. Um, oh. They don't really let people in, and they we we used to be able to run an event like once a year over there where we could have everybody go in and investigate. And they were able to get access to all of Fort Rodman. They'd get access to Battery Milliken, which nobody's allowed into except for our events. They would never let people just walk in there during the day. It had to be part of our events to get in there legally. And the city shut all that stuff down. So even if we wanted to run an event, they said you can only have Fort Rodman and you can only stay in the little bit of grass on the first level and that's it. And I was just like, oh, nobody wants to do that, man. That's like just going and walking around. That's a tease. You know, look at all these places that are so awesome, but no, you can't go into them. So, you know, hopefully we can get the city to kind of get on our side and realize, like, yes, there was some liability involved, but everybody signs the waivers and we can get the insurance. And it's just a great moneymaker for the the, uh, Fort Rodman Historical Society, which isn't making a lot of money otherwise. And that's the same situation in Boston. Like, I, I've given tours in Boston Harbor, and you know, Fort Warren would be perfect uh, for an investigation, but they, you know, to be able to have an investigation crew out there uh, is a logistical nightmare. So, oh, yeah. it, and so I, 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 um, I run across it all the time. But Boston and also Salem as well. Salem is very difficult uh, for people to be, to allow, to allow you to investigate in Salem. Salem is uh, very much, from what I understand, and, and you've spent a lot of time there. You know, you you spend a lot of time talking to the people that are involved in these things. There, it's it's a very much a community where they're very tight knit and they don't let a lot of outsiders in. So they're Absolutely. not really opening up the doors for people to come in and, and hold events or have investigations. It's very much, uh, you know, it's very restrictive up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, Salem is my home area. Like as far as like I get tours there, and I. A lot of my tours are history tours, so I, I know all the all the people in the inner circle, and yeah, absolutely, they're very much they're very protective of outsiders coming in. They want to they would they they would open the doors for me, but I still have to jump through hoops, and I work there. Yeah, that's that's the hard part about it. And the other thing, you know, you had mentioned Fort Warren, which has a great story. There's a great history to that and a, a lot of reports that happened there. And we looked into trying to run an event there. And, of course, being part of the, the, the parks department, at first we were told we would have to rent out, like, for a wet, the same as a wedding would, and it would be $9,000. Just to yeah. get it, just to get it for one night, yeah. and then when we told them exactly what we were doing, they're like, "Oh no, never mind. We would never allow that." <laughs> I'm like, "But if I, first of all, there's no way I'm giving you nine thousand dollars because it's just it's not profitable enough to give you nine thousand dollars. But if we did, then what's the point? We're paying you the same as a wedding. How is it any less? How is it more disrespectful for somebody to walk around trying to connect with your history than it is for people just you know dancing the funky chicken? Well, to to give them some, you know. Credit um, on Pettix Island, which is close by, and actually to me it's more haunted than uh, George's Island, uh, is with Fort Warren. But there was a death. There was people. There were people investigating within one of the, the one of the forts, and that had been long condemned, and they fell down an elevator shaft and died. So there may be like a they may be uh, safety issues that they were concerned. But really, with George's Island and Fort Warren, it's safe for the, for the public. They have hundreds of people that come in daily. Uh, there should be no problem with Fort Warren. Is there, uh, you know, in looking at all these places, uh, all these 
locations that you've done with tours and written about in your books. Is there one place that you can't get people into that you would love to be able to get people into? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm a big on lighthouses, and I, I, um, I, Boston Light, I, I love Boston Light. It was like Frank Grace and I went out to Boston Light, and we were like interrogated while we were out there. Uh, so uh, it would be probably the lighthouses, specifically Boston Light. There's a lot of places that in in Boston, you know, that have a rich history uh, that, you know, they they might not have the ghost stories coming out of them, but you just look at them and you know that place must be haunted. And yeah. one of the places that a lot of people have talked about that with with us is the Old North Church. And we're friends with a, a reenactor who actually has done stuff there and said, oh, yeah, no, that place is definitely haunted. And yeah, that's why I don't understand why places like that don't embrace that side of things. Yeah, I actually um, so I I take odd jobs to be able to get inside these locations. So I um, I talk to uh, the people at Old North Church, and it's it's in my book Haunted Boston Harbor that came out last year over the History Press. And uh, yeah, I mean everyone that you talk to there, um, they tell you that it's haunted. And the same with the, so Old North Church would be on the top of my list of places that should be investigated, but because of the powers that be, they don't want you to uh, to investigate there. Uh, but everyone that I talked to said they had they had multiple stories at Old North, North Church. But but that must be something that that you know bothers you as somebody who is involved in the history side of things as well as talking about the ghost stories. Is that there are all these great places that could embrace this? You know how many of these heritage museums are kicking around that are barely surviving? They're not getting any tourism dollars at all. But then you say to them, well, we could bring you a whole new avenue of a visitor and a whole new revenue stream by focusing on the haunted history of the place and, and they're like no no we don't we don't want to do that it's like that connotation is still there for people that they're afraid to get involved with it yeah my book launch for ghost of boston was at the old south meeting house and adam barry was there we did an investigation the night before uh the book sign or the, the week a couple weeks before the book signing and extremely active uh, Old South Meeting House is in the middle of downtown, and we were able to go up to the top of the uh, the steeple area, or the area, uh, the Belvedere, uh, and the cupola, and it, it was just amazing. And, the, and there, and, um, I would say, I would say that's a, another location that I would love to investigate. But because of um, logistics and bureaucracy, they're not willing to open their doors, and all these locations are struggling to survive. And if they opened it up to the paranormal community, I think that they would make a lot more money, which is. You know, if you look at the history of Boston Harbor, uh, the way that uh, Everett Rose Snow, who initially wrote about the Lady in Black on before Warren and George's Island, saved that island. I mean, it, it was in really bad, in a really bad state. And by by talking about the ghost war associated with that island, in essence, it, hundreds of people came to visit for the ghost. Well, one of the play- I mean, sometimes it can go the other way too, though, because. If a place does open up for the paranormal community, and if they're too open for the paranormal community, that can also create a negative backlash within that field, too, because, I mean, a place that I know you're familiar with is the S.K. Pierce Mansion, and a lot of people have condemned both the previous owners and the current owners, saying, you know, all you're doing is just opening this place up for investigation. You're not really taking, you know, you're you're not really uh, doing a a service by having anybody come in there. And so you can't please everybody. You know, some places won't let you in at all and then some places that are trying to be open and give you full access so that you can actually be able to investigate and figure out what's going on there's there's a backlash against that too yeah 
And I, you know, I, I, um, I'm friendly with the new owner of the SK Pierce Victoria Mansion, and I, um, that's, that was actually number one on my most haunted list, because I do think it is one of the more haunted locations in Massachusetts. Uh, and I, I just, I think there's a, there's a way to do it, and we haven't figured it out yet. There's a nice balance between opening it up to the paranormal community, but also making it a destination for people who are not interested in the paranormal. Listen, I was there in November. We, we ran an event there in November. And first of all, every time I go, I have insane activity take place. But I'm seeing what the money that they're raising is going into. I'm seeing the renovations that they're making. If people going in there and running around in the dark and yelling in the dark is what helps generate the money to be able to restore that place, then I'm perfectly fine with it. And I think other people should be as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I um, the, yeah, the renovation aspect, I, I'm so uh, happy with what, what how it's uh, shaping up, and I, I think that they're opening that soon, right? They're going to open it up to the public. I think people are actually doing investigations coming coming up very soon. Yeah, well, I mean, we did one in November, and uh, it was one of the first ones that they had al- allowed back, because we were actually the last one uh, under the Legend Trips banner. We were the last ones to investigate there before it got shut down by the town, and then later on, Edward and Lillian sold it. So when we found out, you know, when we first got the chance to meet the new owners, we said, you know, we'd love to come back and do something. And they said, we'd love to have you come back. So actually, November of last year was the first time we were able to get in. And I know that they were still in the process, like they still didn't have a toilet in yet. Yeah. The, the water still wasn't running. So, you know, there's still a lot of things that needed to be done then. And I know that they were uh, definitely set on doing a bunch of stuff over the course of the winter because they want to make sure that they can open up as a bed and breakfast uh, relatively soon. Yeah, and I think that, that this is a perfect example of, um, I think they're going to do well uh, based on, and you see the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast, is, I would say is a success when it comes to kind of balancing both the, the paranormal community and uh, the outside world. So I, I think if they kind of take that same plan of attack, I think that they'll do very well. There's a lot of places that, you know, they, there's a lot of places that I think have, uh, People who are good stewards of the location, but they're just, you know, you can kind of tell when people are running an inn just to run an inn. You can tell when people are running a bed and breakfast just to run a bed and breakfast. But when you have somebody that's doing that business side of it, but then also putting in the restoration efforts, like Leanne has done with Lizzie Borden's and like they're doing with the SK Pierce Mansion, it just takes it to another level because you know that it's not just money for them. It's not just income. It's not just revenue. It's a passion. And when you when they have that passion, I think that actually helps as investigators because we want to go to a place where people are putting that kind of energy into it. Absolutely. And, and, and that's kind of what motivated it. Like my 13 Most Haunted, it's a countdown list. So it's, it ranks the most haunted locations in Massachusetts and I'm going to do it for other things as well. And I, I decided to make the SK Pierce Victoria Mansion number one because of that because of the new owners and the fact that they were passionate about the restoration. I wanted to put a spotlight on that location specifically. Yeah, and I just want to take a step back uh, to Provincetown Paracon for a second, too, because I, I, I left his name out when I was talking about the people who will be there. And yeah. I don't want people to sleep on the fact that Peter Muse will be at this event. <laughs> he is one of the greatest folklorists out there. We've had him on the show before. Uh, this is a guy who just is an encyclopedia of all these great folk stories and legends of the area and and it's just going to be awesome being able to pick his brain for an entire weekend yeah peter muse is my good friend and he um, we both write for the same publisher and i met him a couple of years ago at a, at a book signing or at the boston books festival and we've been friends ever since and he is amazing he's my go-to guy uh for folklore and with a lot of the story i find that we um 
we'll have different takes on the same story, and we t- we'll t- we can talk about it. And usually it's online, but sometimes we will meet up and talk about uh, the ghost stories. And he's definitely um, someone that doesn't get a lot of the limelight, but deserves the limelight. Yeah, and what's great about it is, you know, when when you talk to him, it's it's he's telling you the stories, but he's a storyteller at the same time. Oh yeah, and it's so easy to get kind of wrapped up in. The, and then you've got to see when when you're talking with him because you know he's not a, a paranormal researcher, so you're getting somebody who can tell you that side of things, and you start to realize like this all has to work together. It all has to work in concert. The legends, the folklore, the mythologies, the actual research, the experiences. It all has to kind of you know be thrown into the pot to make one good soup. Yeah, it's interesting when, when uh, Peter signed his his forte, if there's any specialty, he's going to actually focus on magical creatures in, in Massachusetts, so it's going to be like a cryptid-type um, discussion in Provincetown. But uh, he also is he's, uh, kind of the expert on witch, uh, witches as well. And when he wrote his book, um, Legends and Lore, the North Shore, uh, our publisher told him not to write any ghost lore because of my books. And we kind of kind of chuckled talking about that because he had to write the whole book without any ghost stories uh, uh, in his book. And one of the things about Providence Town, too, is there's been, there's been a lot of, like, true crime stories that have come out of that area. Yeah, and that's, like, one of the kind of – I was alluding to that a little earlier because there's the – the Lady of the Dunes case, which I would love to revisit that as a group and kind of approach it with, we have some of the, in my opinion, some of the best paranormal investigators uh, in New England coming together uh, and maybe revisiting the Lady of the Dunes case. Uh, I, I, in my book, I kind of talk about the potential ties to Whitey Bulger, uh, but I would love if we can somehow, even we have a lot of psychics coming as well and maybe revisit it in that realm too uh, to maybe give her a name. Uh, this woman was savagely murdered, she was dismembered and left on uh, Race Point Beach and it was, I, I just I think that um, I would like to approach it with a paranormal lens and to be able to maybe give her a name. See, I actually, um, I mentioned it in my, my book, uh, Ghost of the South Coast, and also like when I do lectures and I talk about the haunted area around here, I always go back to, you know, the, the first ghost story of the new world, at least the first, you know, English ghost story of the new world, it goes all the way back to the actual founding of Cape Cod. It, all, it goes all the way back to Gosnold and him disappearing and, and his ship being seen, you know, floating out there. We could actually be standing out there on the beach and see a phantom ship float by. Yeah. Well, there, there are multiple reports in Provincetown of that. In fact, Adam Berry, it didn't, I, didn't, I didn't put it in my book, but when I talked to Adam about the hauntings of Provincetown a couple of years ago, he had a, a ghost ship encounter. Wow. Well, we'll definitely make him tell that story, though, when we're there. Yeah. <laughs> and w- what I think is, is going to be a fantastic part about this event is it's going to be, first of all, I mean, if anybody out there is listening not from New England and you're thinking about making the trip, when you come here, the paranormal community in New England is unlike anywhere else. We all work together. We're all friends. We all share stuff. You know, we know, we know that we can call somebody up and be like, hey, do you have one of these? I need to borrow it for the week. You know, that's, that's just how it works here. It's not like all these other areas where there's infighting and, and people backstabbing and all that stuff. It's a big family here. And what's great about it is it's a big family that's been doing a lot of great work that you probably haven't heard about because there's a lot of folks here that don't seek out the spotlight. So for anybody that's listening, because I know we have a worldwide audience anybody that's looking for a reason to come to new england this is the reason to come because you're going to get the chance to be with all these people in a very you know it's, it's going to be relatively low-key because it's just at the beginning of this so it's not really quite the tourism season yet down there right yeah and i purposely did that because 
in two weeks after the Provincetown Paracon, it's going to swell to like 60,000 people. So we are um, right before what they call switch week. And, and, and so it has the off-season vibe to it in May, uh, but yet you have the weather and the beauty that people come all over the world to, to experience, and we're going to experience that, but with our paranormal friends. And it's May 12th to the 14th. If we haven't mentioned the dates, it's, you can get all the tickets and information at ProvincetownParacon.com. And I think you said there was actually some, some deals that recently came out. Yeah, so we have – so I strongly recommend doing the, the VIP ticket. So you go to ProvincetownParacon.com. Click on the upper right hand corner and get a VIP ticket. I do have still some one hundred thirteen dollar uh, weekend VIP tickets still available, um, so I recommend that. We did launch a group on today, and that, that, but those are for, are for specific events. We have the Friday night VIP party, which is the headliners are going to be Dana and Greg with the Traveling Paranormal uh, Museum, and then Saturday is the lecture, uh, which is from nine to five, and you have multiple people, including Peter Muse and you and Stephanie and John Brightman and Amy and, uh, and Adam on Saturday, and then there's the investigation, which is also on the group on uh, for Saturday night from uh, 8 o'clock until uh, probably midnight, but I think Amy has to leave a little early, so we may not do an overnighter, but it'll be up until midnight at least. Yeah, I mean, usually, you know, you've got a long day of events and, and, and lectures and everything coming together. So, you know, usually people start to peter out around that time anyway. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no shame in running out of steam toward the end of the night. Nobody will nobody will fault you if you do. Uh, I personally will probably be all uh, Mountain dude up for the night. So I will keep going. <laughs> but uh, it, it, just don't leave me behind because I get scared of the dark. So, yeah, and, th- and Adam, th- Adam really wants to do, like, that kind of a post-investigation, like, party so they they may go to like a local bar after oh yeah have you have you been to a paranormal convention before after an investigation no and that's the thing like i personally because i don't drink so i i don't i kind of stay away from those things but yeah i've heard some i some uh, great stories from those. <laughs> it's, it's awesome because everybody goes out and they do the investigation and they have these experiences and then they come back and they have a few drinks in them. So then there are no, no uh, shame in, in sharing any of these stories. So that's when people will be like, oh, my God, you won't believe what I... You know, as opposed to being more reserved if they're just like, oh, yeah, some weird things happened. So, uh, But it, you had mentioned the special uh, right now to get the VIP access. It's only $113. It's only good for a couple more days before that right. special runs out. So make sure you get on right now on the ProvincetownParacon.com website and, and get it because that's a fantastic deal to have access to everything for $113. Yeah, and it, it also there's a dinner on Saturday as well that the VIPs have access to. But I think the, to me the most exciting access that you have is the uh, the, the Paranormal Travel Museum, the, the Traveling Paranormal Museum with uh, Dana and Greg. I think that you're going to be blown away with what they bring. So... And then also, if you want to stay there, you actually have a, a room deal going as well. Yeah, so if you want to stay at the host hotel at the Provincetown Inn, uh, it's use the, the code GHOST to get a discount. They're giving us a 20% discount. Uh, and it's also off-season, so the tickets for the rooms are actually very reasonable. They, they're, they quadruple. After in busy season, they were like three to $400 a night, but we're getting them as low as uh, $99 a night. So highly recommend uh, going to that, uh, getting a room. It doesn't have to be at the host hotel. Uh, there's other options as well. 
Trust me, you want to get a room. You want to stay there because there's going to be all kinds of stuff going on. All kinds of stuff will just randomly happen. You know, we'll just like there'll just be a random group that'll be like, "Hey, let's all go do this." So you definitely want to stay there and, and be close by to all the action that's happening. And, and plus, why wouldn't you want to stay there and get such a great deal to stay down there? Because you can never afford to stay there any other time without shelling out two or three times as much. And then the other thing is too is like people have to realize you're kind of you're going to be in the middle of nowhere out there, so you're going to want to yeah. stay where everybody else is. Yeah. It's and, not. It's not like you run into McDonald's. You know, it's like an hour away. Yeah, it's literally it's like the hotel is literally at the very end of Provincetown. So you're at the end of the world, and um, it is. And what's great about it, it's kind of an old school hotel, and it's it's allegedly very haunted as well. It kind of reminds me of like the Stanley Hotel, uh, even though it's more of like a '50s '60s vibe to it. Uh, but it has that old haunted hotel vibe to it. And uh, we will certainly take full advantage of that. That's for sure. When we're when we're walking yeah. around, and, uh, like I said, you know, you never know what's going to pop up. You never know when people are going to be like, "Let's go do this. Let's go do that." And when you have a, a town that's willing to welcome it, and and you have people that are willing to welcome it, that's a good thing because you know you you can actually get to talk to people and you can find out the real story that's going on and not just what you know makes it to TV in a lot of cases. And you can actually find out the cultural impact that ghosts can have on an area. So I love this because. It's not just about going to, to one spot. You're not just going to investigate one location. You're going there to actually soak up the culture of an entire community. So it'll be it'll just be a great event. Yeah, the, the main star of the Provincetown Paracon is Provincetown. Absolutely. So, again, uh, ProvincetownParacon.com is the website for that. If you want to find out more about Sam's books, you can just go to Amazon.com, search for his name, Sam Baltrusis. You'll find all of his books up there so that you can either buy them, and, and some of them are available as e-books as well. Uh, and if you want to find out more about his radio show, which to tell everybody about the radio show because you only just recently started that up. Yeah, so 13 was Haunted, it's every uh, Friday night from 7 to 8 o'clock. Truthfully, it's, it is uh, a way for me to do research for my books uh, without but doing it on a radio show. <laughs> so it's kind of like what I normally do as a paranormal researcher, I interview people about their haunted experiences, but I'm doing it where other people can kind of uh, chime in and uh, listen to what's going on. So far, it's been it's doing very well. And you and you don't just have the chance to listen. You can actually watch it while it's going on. I've uh, I've I've been able to jump in the last couple of weeks just for a few minutes while I was here finishing up my work. Yeah. And, and you can certainly see everything in its entirety right on 13mosthaunted.com. And I you know I just think that uh, you know we're going to show the world when they come here we're going to show them how great the New England community is, and they'll want to come back. They'll want to see Boston with you. They'll want to see Salem with you, and we'll uh, we'll win people over and let them realize our ghosts are the best ghosts. Our ghosts are definitely the best ghosts. So come to New England, come to Provincetown, and we will show you the best paranormal experience ever. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Look forward to actually meeting you in person and, and getting to hang out coming up in May, if, if not sooner. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be at Salem Con, so I hope maybe we'll bump into each other then. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. We'll, uh, we'll have to make sure that uh, we cause some trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what we do. All right. Well, you have a great night. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Tim. All right, that is Sam Baltrusis. You can, uh, again, check out all of his stuff at 13mosthaunted.com, the number 13mosthaunted.com. So, uh, Matt, have you been to Provincetown? I know that you, you yeah, went before. Yeah, I have. Like, in the past. But, I mean, have you been there? No, nothing for paranormal-related, though. But have you been there recently, like in the last, you know, five or ten years? Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I think I went, yeah. Climbed the, uh, the tower. Oh, I see. I've never done that. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things on my list for that weekend. Yeah, it's good for uh, do it once. <laughs> it's just that's, tiring. There's a lot I, of stairs. That's how I feel about climbing anything. There's a yep, lot of stairs. Do it one time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I did it once. That's enough. I made it. So, uh, but uh, it should be a great weekend. Uh, as I said, people are coming from all over. I'm already seeing people saying they're coming from all over for this. So it's going to be fantastic. Are you, are you going to try and sneak down? Um, you got, you got to, you, maybe because I I've never seen the uh, the the traveling, the traveling museum. museum. Yeah, right. That's what it seems to be the 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 top uh, uh, the top draw. Everybody raves about it. They're like, like, yeah, the Lysberg's going to be there, but right, yeah, it almost makes up for the fact <laughs> that I'm going to be there because Greg and Dana right, are coming with the right. museum. So, and uh, and congratulations to them. They just launched a new membership service for the museum online. Oh, that's so you awesome. actually can get involved and you can. You know, they have cameras where you can watch the objects, and they have all these different events that they do that they're going to be doing for members. But they're also in this really cool thing where I, I guess they went out and got a 3D printer. Oh, really? So they're going to make, like, 3D replicas of the objects in the museum, and then they're going to, you know, you can you can buy them. Oh. So that'll be pretty cool because I, I get a feeling that if you're buying this 3D printed object that's made, you know, in their house or wherever they're keeping the, the stuff in the museum, and you're... Buying it from them, like there's a chance something could attach itself to what you're buying. So, hmm. I, I want to see if I can get a 3D printed version of Billy the Idol. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great name, by the way. It really is. <laughs> they're 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 the best. So uh, absolutely, I hope to see everybody at that event. I hope to see everybody back here next Saturday night when our guest will be Seth Breedlove. Remember back when he made the Minerva Monster documentary? Well, now things are just going crazy with Seth. He's got a bunch of projects in the work, stuff coming out. This is He's become the go-to guy now for these monster documentaries. So we're going to be talking with him about his latest work, and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about all the great stuff that he's been in, investigating, the stuff that he's been researching, but also what the response has been to them, because it's really brought some of these smaller, more obscure creatures into the limelight. So we'll talk with Seth Breedlove next week on Spooky South Coast. All kinds of great guests coming forward uh, in the coming months and weeks and uh, and years, I guess, because we're not going anywhere. So we will have plenty of paranormal talk for you each and every Saturday night. SpookySouthCoast.com is the website. If you ever miss a show, you can get them all right there and from our free apps. Stay spectacular.